The following podcast is rated P for pickle power and too few theaters for the old man and the gun. Just let us see it already. I mean, come on. Come on. Welcome to Rated P. My name is Yates. I'm Brighton. Yates, how are you doing this week? Doing all right. Still riding the high from SNL being back. Oh, yes. Well, guess what we've got to talk about? What do we got to talk about? X-Men news. Oh, I know, because I read the script. We've got reactions to the Dark Phoenix trailer. We've got 20th Century Fox shifting up some of their dates. And we talk about how September is finally over. We made it! We made it. However, there was some other box office news from September as a whole that is important. So we're going to get and into surprising that and, and interesting. So stay tuned. We're going to get right into it. <laughs> That we have today is involving Quentin Tarantino's next project, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is some casting news due to the late Burt Reynolds, who passed away just a few months ago, if not even more recent. Than yeah, that. I think it was in September. It yeah. Was, it was, yeah, recent. But Reynolds was slated to play a rancher in the movie, and he has been replaced by Bruce Dern, who has been in Quentin Tarantino's most recent films like The Hateful Eight and Django Unchained. So... Another one of his um, normal go-tos stepping into the spot of, uh, of Burt Reynolds' characters. For those who don't know about this Tarantino project, the movie is going to be taking place in 1969, and it's meant to follow a handful of characters around Hollywood at the same time as the Charles Manson cult is on the rise. And uh, the timelines of the main characters are going to overlap with Manson's cults. We'll be following DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, but Margot Robbie is one of the top three characters that we're going to be following in this movie, and she plays Sharon Tate. So that's a pretty uh, clear indicator. But yeah, Burt Reynolds was expected to play a ranch owner who lends his land to Charles Manson, and it ends up being the cult's de facto headquarters. So now that will fall with Bruce Dern. So as I said, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are the main characters in this movie, with Margot Robbie there as well, but the rest of the cast is stacked too. It's what what I love about this cast is it's a bunch of people where you're like, I haven't seen them that much, but they're great. Yes. Which is, like, the most exciting thing to me. Or you've never seen them together. Like, I... Right. DiCaprio and Bad, Brad Pitt, that's quite the duo. I and can't think... I was just thinking about this. I can't think of anything they've done together. I don't think they've done anything. It's just... It goes to show the power of Tarantino and who he tends to draw in. But along with those three, he's got Damian Lewis, Dakota Fanning, James Marston, who... Rumors going around that he's going to be the one playing Manson, Emil Hirsch, Al Pacino, and just so many more. I, we don't really even have time to go through and name them all, but just an incredibly stacked cast. So R.I.P. Burt Reynolds, but welcome, Bruce Stern. I'm excited for this movie. And uh, it'll be coming out next summer, July 26, in 2019. The next piece of news we have is about DC's Birds of Prey. You faithful listeners know we are big fans of. DC movies. Oh, just huge. <laughs> Here at uh, P for Podcast. And the their Birds of Prey movie got a release date of February 7th, 2020. 
which is still too close for for my liking. But uh, <laughs> uh, Burns of Prey is about a team of superheroes, including Margot Robbie reprising her role as Harley Quinn, taking on the Gotham crime boss Black Mask. There's not a whole lot else we know about this. They've cast some ladies for Canary and Huntress, who will be two of the main characters. They're actresses that we have never heard of. That's true. They don't have very much work ahead of them so, uh, or in their resume yeah. at the moment. So, so, And I don't know either of those two characters. Do you? I've heard that they're... I do from... I know at least Canary from Arrow. I was going to I say, think Huntress I, was also... There's a character I'm thinking of in Arrow that I think was Huntress, but like... They're like Canary can scream really weirdly oh. and fight well. And then Huntress is basically what you think she is. I think she has a bow and arrow and she hunts folk. All right. So, you know. Yeah. Bad. I mean, you know, I, I, I like they're making this. We need more female led superhero movies without a doubt. Wonder Woman was a huge smash. Captain Marvel looks like it's going to you know, knock my socks off. Um, it's just that we don't trust DC. We don't trust DC. For but, good reason, I think. But socially, culturally, I'm here for it. From that point of view, in terms of looking forward to the actual like content of this movie, not as much. Right. And it it is worth saying, for me, I did not like Suicide Squad. I was genuinely and massively let down by Suicide Squad when it came out. But Brighton, Brighton with the hot take over here. <laughs> <laughs> but Margot Robbie was not one of the like downsides of that movie. I thought her portrayal of Harley Quinn, especially for it being the first time we really see Harley Quinn anytime in the modern film era, I, I thought she was fine. Well, Harley Quinn is not she's a relatively new character. Right. Like she came around in the nineties or early two thousands or okay, something. Okay. Um so there was that's just to say there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for her to I think maybe she debuted in the Batman the Animated Series in okay. the 90s. Well, um, either way, I thought... Yeah, no, I, either I way. Thought that, I think that casting for her is great, and I thought that she was as good as it could be right. in that movie I, with the I, writing and editing issues it had. I, I didn't love how the character was written, but I think she did a really good job with it, I think is the best way to put it. Um, so, Birds of Prey, February 7th, 2020. Now on our radar, I suppose. Yeah, for better or worse. We also got our first look at Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers... In the upcoming biopic, You Are My Friend, um, it's simply just... To, to to clarify, this is Fred, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers, correct? Yes, that okay. is right. I, I just want to make sure that's what I thought. Just want to make sure. Yeah, I was just about to reiterate this. This is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's going to be about sort of the original making of that show and just more about Mr. Rogers himself, kind of leading up to it and explaining his philosophy and making it and why he sort of went the route he did in terms of letting children know that they matter and stuff like that. And the photo is pretty standard. It's just Tom Hanks, I believe, sitting on the steps of his trailer. But he's in the stereotypical red cardigan. He's got the blue sneakers on. Um, Not much, like, facial makeup done to make him look like Mr. Rogers, but his hair is gray. And, you know, it's just a photo. But what's interesting to me is that they're doing this movie so recently on the heels of Won't You Be My Neighbor, which was the... Mr. Rogers documentary that came out. That was great. Yeah, earlier yeah. this fall. That was fantastic. Cannot cannot sing its praises enough. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that this, uh, this movie existed until this photo came out. And, frankly, if you have to be doing an actor as Fred Rogers, I can't think of anybody better than Tom Hanks. Can you? 
Uh, I mean, he doesn't necessarily look like him, but we know Tom Hanks has the acting chops that he's probably right. going to nail this part. Right. Well, I, I can think of actors that I think would be interesting to see play Mr. Rogers, but not necessarily anyone I think would do a better job. Like, I, f- I think, you know, if you put, and this is, you know, this would never happen, but if you made Al Pacino Mr. Rogers, okay, that would be an, an, an interesting movie i'm talking about genuinely good right and and for genuinely good performance i think tom i mean but like it's tom freaking hanks for genuinely good performance at anyone yeah like it's tom like you know have him play paddington he's gonna do a great job (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that's what i'm saying imagine tom hanks in a bear suit (laughs) playing paddington i heard some people wanting jim parsons to play fred rogers instead which i think look down as in like like the big, like the theory, big bang theory, Jim, Jim Parsons, which I think again would get the look down, but not necessarily the acting, <laughs> like at all. I think I think he might be too typecast at this point. Yeah, to play anybody else than Sheldon. I feel like I saw him in something that wasn't a typecast, but I, I can't think of what it was. So, never mind. Either way, Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers in "You Are My Friend" will be out October 2019 guess i'm excited for it i don't really know i'm yeah just coming off of the nostalgia that i got from won't you be my neighbor i'm all for it but we'll have to see when the first trailer comes out just kind of what direction they're going to go with it and how good tom hanks looks the next piece of news bit of a doozy so hang hang with me 20th century fox made some headlines this week with a few uh different things i'm just gonna kind of go through real quick mostly it is they, they're shifting around dates of their films and talking about the upcoming Gambit movie starring Channing Tatum. So they push back the release dates of Alita, Battle Angel, and X-Men Dark Phoenix. Instead of Battle Angel coming out on December 21st of this year, it will now be an untitled Deadpool movie on December 21st of this year. That's right. It seems really quick. But what they're saying is it's most likely going to be like a PG or PG-13 edit of either the first Deadpool or oh. the Deadpool movie, Deadpool 2, that just came out Which this I haven't past seen yet. year. Have yeah, you seen neither it? of us have oh, seen okay. Deadpool 2. It seems like a quick turnaround, but we'll, yeah. see, I, we'll see how it goes. Really, the only thing we know about anything involving that right now is that Ryan Reynolds tweeted a picture of him in the Deadpool costume reading to an adult Fred Savage sitting in his bed in the same room, like recreated from The Princess Bride. And, uh, like, that that's literally all we know. That's priceless. And um, um, and he's in a Christmas hat. So I, yeah. I, I, that was kind oh, of what Lord. he teased when this when this news was announced. That's hilarious. That is Ryan gold. Reynolds fashion. Um, so I don't right. know if they'll read it, like, as a kid. They'll try and make it kind of like as a Deadpool kid's book, and he's reading the story to Fred Savage or what. But I... I don't know if they. It feels weird if they release Deadpool two again, even if it's a even if it's like, like an edit. Rated, yeah, they just put it out six months ago. Right. Like, well, in yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That, It'll be interesting. Either way, that's taking over that right. December twenty first spot, and it will be going up against Aquaman and Bumblebee, which we'll talk about a little later. Seems risky though. I mean, like that's correct for a project that might not have even really been in the works until like a couple months ago. That seems dicey to put it up against some heavy hitters like we know aquaman's gonna make a lot of money we presume bumblebee will also be making a lot of money for better or for worse and um who knows what 20th century fox will be able to pull off against those two huge movies presumably huge movies correct 
Um, Alita Battle Angel, which we talked about a little bit earlier, will be pushed back to Valentine's Day of 2019, which was the uh, spot for Dark Phoenix, which got pushed from Valentine's Day back again because it's been pushed back a couple times now to June 7, 2019. Um, and that was the set date for the Gambit movie starring Channing Tatum they've been working on forever. So then the Gambit movie got pushed back to 2020. And they they said a couple things about that Gambit movie. Mainly that Simon Kinberg, the like Marvel, basically the Kevin Feige for Fox's Marvel products, the like head producer, said in an interview with IGN that they were trying to make Gambit into a rom-com or sex comedy vibe, which is weird, super weird. I don't know how they're going to do it, but it's also Channing Tatum, so I'm not entirely opposed. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I just don't really know what they mean by this. I think I'm skeptical for anything involving the Gambit movie at this point since it's been, like, it's, in the talks since, I mean, before Fre- X-Men First Class. I mean, it has been in the talks for forever. Oh, it's been, it's been in the talks since... Um, since Taylor Kitsch was Gambit in X-Men Origins Wolverine, they were planning to make, I believe they were planning to make a whole, like, series of X-Men Origins movies, and he was going to star as Gambit in one of them, but then given how poorly X-Men Origins Wolverine was received, they scrapped all that, and so now they've just kind of had this, you know, they, they've kind of had this Gambit movie stuck in, you know, just development hell, and Taylor Kitsch left, and it was still kind of in development. And then Channing Tatum in, like, 2014 or something, because he's from Louisiana, said, I want to star in a Gambit movie. They're like, all right, you can do that. And now we that's, like, all that we have is that Channing Tatum will be in this Gambit movie, and it will presumably get made at some point in time. Presumably. we don't, And it, it will apparently be some sort of rom-com vibe. I don't know if it's trying to be what Deadpool was, but I feel like as ridiculous as Deadpool's character is, Gambit's powers themselves are more ridiculous than Deadpool. Yeah, so he, this movie could just be ridiculous right. in, upon arrival after all this. Yeah, as you said, just this, it's time in production purgatory. Right. For for those of you who don't know what Gambit's powers are, he basically can like throw magic playing cards at people and do some voodoo stuff. I think is the it, it's because he's from Louisiana, from New Orleans, yeah, um, and the Bayou. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's so that that's basically everything that Fox has going on. It's a lot. None of it's really positive. No. Well, it's, I would say the one positive thing is moving Dark Phoenix to a summer release. That is true. That because makes me feel so much better about it. Right. Despite Which, me. Still feeling iffy on some ways, right. but we will get to that, we will get that later. In a little bit. Last piece of news. Go. Is weird, weird, weird. <laughs> I don't is... even really have all that much to say outside of the headline caught my eye <laughs> this past week. This is the most ridiculous piece of movie news we have pro- probably that we've talked about so far. Yep. So uh, strap yourself in for this one. Seth Rogen will star in an untitled movie at this moment. And the plot is about a guy who falls into a vat of pickles and is preserved. For hundreds of years. Yes. What the hell? You heard me correctly. So, let me provide a little bit more context on this real quick. The source material for this movie is from a New Yorker novella. And the guy who wrote that is also going to be working on the script of this movie with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. 
Evan Goldberg is a longtime cinematographer for Seth Rogen comedies and and the such. This will be his first directing project. A little bit more context on the plot. Rogen is going to be playing Herschel Greenbaum, who is a young man who falls into a factory pickle barrel and emerges 100 years later into hipster Brooklyn. The idea is just like one of those kind of Captain America situations where a dude from the past comes to the present and is just completely fish out of water. Honestly, we don't have much else besides that. Pickles? Like, pickles. why pickles? <laughs> why? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it sounds like something Seth Rogen would be in. It does. Right. Like, then, so. It does. And, I mean, you know, it came from a New Yorker novella. I mean, there's just not that much explanation that's going to go into this. But, you know, if you can make an animated movie about food, an R-rated animated movie about food. I, I, I don't want to talk about that movie. <laughs> I figure I really can, don't. I figure you can do fall into a vat of, of pickle brine and be preserved for 100 years. So uh, this untitled pickle power movie, whatever you want to call it, uh, <laughs> is going to start production on October 29th. And uh, who knows what's going to happen from there. The first trailer that we will be talking about today, which Brighton is very excited about. So excited. Is the sequel to Creed, uh, creatively named Creed 2. The general plot is that under the tutelage of Rocky Balboa, newly crowned light heavyweight champion Adonis Creed faces off against Victor Drago, the son of Ivan Drago. Rocky and Adonis will confront their shared legacy, question what's worth fighting for, and discover that nothing's more important than family. How many Rocky movies have you seen, Yates? Uh, point three. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I thought I remembered. So yeah. for those who don't know the context of this movie, such as Yates. I know the context. I just haven't, like, I, I understand the you know linear storytelling of the Rocky universe. I what, just haven't seen it. What Rocky is even Drago from? Three. Incorrect. Damn it. Rocky Four is the... Was it Rocky Four like, really bad? It was not critically acclaimed, that's for sure, because it was the first time they were like, all right, we're making this a true blockbuster. And it was not critically acclaimed because it was pandering greatly to American uh, patriotism and nationalism in the time of the Cold War because... Not uh, good. Ivan, Ivan Drago is, like, the complete representation of the Soviet Union. Ah, uh, yes. And... And Rocky is the complete representation of the of American capitalism and all that. But ah. when this movie came out, it was a, a gigantic success Big because okay. people found that they connected in this way. And the you know, Rocky eventually beats Ivan Drago. And spoiler so, alert, yeah. And but, so you've got right. you know all the nationalism people just jacked up on. It was like America. America. But there's a great story in it because. Before Rocky even fights Ivan Drago, Rocky's first opponent from the first Rocky movie, Apollo Creed, fights Drago and literally gets killed in the ring. He dies in the boxing ring because even Drago, Ivan Drago, whoops him so badly. Not good. Not good. And so, you know, when they made the first Creed, it's a lot about 
Michael B. Jordan's character Adonis Creed, figuring out who he is, kind of grappling with his father's legacy and trying to figure out his own while kind of going down this path that his father also took and ultimately led to his death. In this movie, it's going to even focus on those themes more, it seems, because he's literally fighting the son of the guy who killed his own father. Right. I'm so excited. So excited. So Creed 2 stars <laughs> um, Michael B. Jordan as Adonis Creed, Sylvester Stallone as Rocky Balboa, Tessa Thompson as Adonis Creed's girlfriend, baby mama, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Florian Montano as Victor Drago, the son of Dolph Lundgren's Ivan Drago, and Felicia Rashad. Playing, um, playing his mom, playing, playing Creed's mom. Creed's mother. Ryan Coogler is back producing the movie, but will not be directing, as he did the first one. The director is Stephen Capel Jr., who's directed some shorts, done some TV shows, but never a blockbuster. Brighton, you've already talked about how excited you are in this movie when you cut me off earlier. Sorry. I'm joking. You're good. Um Anything else you want to add? Yeah, I want to explain. <laughs> uh, beyond the story, I want to explain why I'm excited about this because the trailer looks genuinely good. You know, Ryan Coogler not being back to direct, I think, was uh, something I was a little concerned about when they announced that they were making a sequel because he killed it in the first one, did some amazing long takes in a boxing ring that I think will never really be able to be matched because they were phenomenally shot in the first Creed. Killed it with Black Panther, so now he's a hot commodity. Obviously, you know, for those who haven't seen Creed and have seen Black Panther, I feel like even more people will be interested now because if you thought Michael B. Jordan was good in Black Panther or just hot in Black Panther, he is so freaking jacked in Creed. It's amazing. And it's you get maybe not as um, socially important of a villain as, as Killmonger is, but... Uh, a very important and great storytelling of a protagonist in Creed as well. Speaking of people who are jacked, real quick, Victor Drago oh, is a big boy. He's a freaking tank. He's a big boy. It's one of those where you, it's just like in Rocky Four. you have no idea how he's going to beat this dude because it will not be by brawn, that's for sure. Correct. He, uh, yeah, there, there's a scene where they kind of come face to face in the ring and Michael P. Jordan is not a small dude. And you can tell, this this scene I'm talking about comes towards the end of the trailer. And you can tell throughout the trailer, Michael B. Jordan is not a small dude. And if you've seen the first movie, you know, Michael B. Jordan is not a small dude. But compared to this guy, he looks like a small dude. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's actually kind of mind-boggling to me. Yeah, this guy is jacked. There's a good line in the trailer that addresses that, too. It's Rocky is trying to talk Adonis out of the fight. And he says, you know, this guy, he's... He's been trained in hate, which I think is a pretty dang accurate because you can see Ivan is not messing around. Dolph Lundgren looks just pissed off. And Rocky's just trying to plead with Creed saying, do not do this. And there are definitely going to be some parallels. I'm worried that this movie will be a little redundant because Rocky tries to plead with Creed in the very first one not to enter boxing at all. And Rocky's like, I don't even want to train you. And all obviously, ultimately, he does, and here we are now. So I'm worried that there will be some parallels there, too. But um, I'm just excited for being able to explore his father's legacy more. There was another good line, and along those lines was Felicia Rashad's probably standout line in this trailer, which is, if you want to take this fight because 
you personally feel like it's on your honor to do it, then do it. If you want to take this fight because of your father, you're a fool. She says something along those lines, and I that, that got me hyped. She is an awesome character. The first movie's great. I'm so excited for this second one. I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Yates, we've, we have to watch Creed together before this movie comes out. All right, let's do it. I'm Yeah, I'm down. Creed 2 will be coming out November 21st, 2018, which I believe is on or around Thanksgiving. That's right. So you can go see that instead of that Mark Wahlberg family movie. That's right. <laughs> if you're looking for some more action. Right. We had mentioned Dark Phoenix earlier when we were talking about shifting around release dates. We mentioned Dark Phoenix last week in the podcast, I believe, because of Marvel getting X-Men properties back. Correct. And now, just a week after that, we now have our first trailer for X-Men Dark Phoenix. With Yates is just giddy. I'm so excited. As I am for Creed 2. And I'm pretty pumped for this one, too. As I talked about last week. My love for X-Men is matched or surpassed only by my love for Star Wars. And um, we've been getting much less X-Men content recently than Star Wars. So as you can imagine, I'm pretty over the moon about this. It's been building up. Correct. I I'll, Actually, I haven't seen Deadpool 2 yet, so I should probably get that's on true. that. Yeah, that's but true. But that's beside the point. Dark Phoenix trailer we see during a rescue. They don't really show this first part. They don't show the rescue mission in space where Jean Grey is nearly killed when she's hit by a mysterious cosmic force. We don't see that all that much, but we see a lot of what happens after she returns home, which is that this force not only is making her ridiculously powerful than she already, more powerful than she already was, but also pretty unstable as well, which is kind of concerning because Jean Grey is um, not exactly to be trifled with in terms of her powers. Now the X-Men are going to have to decide if the life of their team member is worth more than all of the people living in the world because uh, Jean Grey is about to go off on them. In the same vein as the most recent X-Men movies, we get the returning characters of Professor X, Magneto, Cyclops that have been established in X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse most recently. We have James McAvoy returning as Charles Xavier. We have Michael Fassbender returning as Eric Lyncher. We have Jennifer Lawrence returning as Mystique. We have Nicholas Holt returning as Beast. We have Evan Peters returning as Quicksilver. Ty Sheerden returning as Cyclops, who, underrated actor. He's really good. He is really good. Yeah. Correct. And Sophie Turner returning as Jean. We saw her as Jean in X-Men Apocalypse. Don't think she was in Days of Future Past, was she? No. They, uh, she, Ty Sheridan. There are a couple others were introduced in X-Men Apocalypse. So there's at least one good thing out of that movie, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> in just we'll, a second. Right. We also have Jessica Chastain, who makes a very brief appearance in this trailer as a very mysterious character named Smith that I know nothing about. Do you know anything about who she's supposed to be? She doesn't have eyebrows. She does not have eyebrows. <laughs> can, she's missing eyebrows. That. Have you ever seen Jessica Chastain in a movie without red hair? No, I don't think so. Yeah, me neither. I don't know. It's interesting. We'll see. Hmm, maybe that's a sign. Uh, Dark Phoenix is directed by Simon Kinberg. We were just talking about him because he is the Fox's main Marvel producer. This is his first directing project. Like ever, ever? Ever, ever. He's written and produced a whole bunch of stuff. He's gotten 
writing and producing credits on pretty much every single X-Men movie for Fox, and that includes Apocalypse, screenplay for Apocalypse, but this is his first actual directing project. Yates. Yes, sir. Tell me what was running through your mind when you first saw some of the stuff in this trailer. What did you like about it? Things you're excited about, things you're concerned about. Because I've got some on both sides. What was running through my mind? X-Men, holy shit, it's X-Men, it's an X-Men <laughs> Okay. Hey, I was pretty unexpected, too. Neither of us saw this. Yeah, no, it just kind of dropped. And you texted me, and you were like, Dark Phoenix trailer. And I was like, <gasps> and I had two minutes before class, and it was a two-and-a-half-minute trailer, so I watched almost all of it, and then class started, and then I didn't get around to it till like, the next day. Um, but. Either way. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, what in the trailer stood out to you that makes you excited? Yeah, I mean, it looks like if you look at the X-Men saga as a whole, beginning in 2000 with X-Men and going through X2, last and through kind of like the Wolverine movies, gray area, and then kind of the soft reboot, there's a, it's a, there's a very like distinct aesthetic and kind of tone quality things like that change yeah no and doubt. You, you can totally tell and i think a lot of that is due to marvel and i think we talked about this i think when we did the trilogy conversation how the dark knight was kind of a turning point for superhero movies and you can really see it reflected in the x-men universe and i think that w- what i really like about this movie is how distinctly modern looking it is and how it looks like it's really going to it, it looks like it will draw kind of from everything. And it, because we've already had a Dark Phoenix story, I, there's a lot of common elements, I would say. Okay. I think it's kind of, this is kind of my roundabout way of getting to that. And I think that this is, it looks like it will really do a good job, especially since it is getting so close to when that first X-Men movie took place in the timeline. It looks like we're kind, you can kind of see how we're starting to get to that point, even though those movies are not canon anymore because of Days of Future Past. Right. That's what I was just about to touch on. X-Men First Class started in the Cuban Missile Crisis, so 1960s. Days of Future Past, they are in the way future, but then go back in time to the 70s. X-Men Apocalypse takes place in the 80s, right? I have not seen it, worth noting. I have not seen it, you have. It takes place in the 80s. This one looks like it is, as you said, very close to modern times. So we're creeping up on them actually being caught up and we're getting a modern Earth. And we do know where this is going because we have Logan, which takes place in the future. We have Days of Future Past, which took place in the future. So we kind of know where this is all going to more or less end up from a world point of view and where mutants are and stuff. And we're just kind of like slowly working our way there, well, which not, is interesting. Not Days of Future Past because they completely obliterate the timeline. Well, they but they yes. but the, at, at the ending, at, yes. at the end they show the they show the new timeline, the repaired timeline, and so you know that we're going to get to that at some point, That's and then right. you know we're going to get to Logan at some point, and then maybe we'll get past Logan. We don't know. So the 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 question, and Brighton and I discussed this before we started recording this. Moving on from X-Men Apocalypse, which was, to put it kindly, not good. I believe you came out of the theater and texted me saying it was a dumpster fire, if I remember correctly. Something like that. I've only seen it once. I do remember there are good elements of it, for sure, but it definitely struggled in a lot of ways. And I think that the concern with Dark Phoenix is 
it, will it be more like that or will it be more like X-Men Days of Future Past, which was phenomenal. Real good. It was real, real good. Real good. So, Brighton, talk about some of your concerns, if you will, and then I will kind of link it up with Apocalypse everything. Sure. Well, you know, nothing in this trailer really jumped out at me as being concerning. I actually had a lot of moments that I really liked in this trailer, especially when it came to dialogue. Oh, my gosh. Michael Fassbender. (laughs) Magneto delivers this line when it looks like, uh, you know, all hell is beginning to break loose within the team. And Magneto delivers this line about Charles, Professor X. He goes... You know, you always end up saying it's your fault. And there's always a speech about how we can grow better and learn from it. And no one cares. And I was just like, Ugh! It's the, kind of painfully the, the accurate. Mean Eric is right. back. Well, I mean, it, which is good because in Apocalypse, he became one of the four horsemen of Apocalypse. For those of you who don't know, Apocalypse has the four horsemen, which, you know, comes from the Bible and the four horsemen of the Apocalypse. And Magneto was one of them. And it really did was not good for his character. It was uninteresting. It was they were kind of like, you know, they've been building up since the year two thousand. You know, Magneto is the bad guy in X Men, and then they're like, ah, oh, but he isn't for this one. And that it was it it didn't sit right. It was weird. It didn't work. And you were kind of expecting a lot from Magneto, and he was just a thug. He wasn't the Magneto that's like, you know, philosophical. He wasn't like Unabomber Magneto. He was like, just kind of punch people and do what Apocalypse tells me to do, Magneto, which is super disappointing. Sure. And, you know, that kind of proves the point of where I'm trying to, of my thoughts on this trailer, which is nothing in the trailer itself looks bad. I'm just reserving judgment until the movie comes out or I'm a little more wary about this movie following what happened with Apocalypse because... I remember when the first teaser trailer for Apocalypse came out. I thought it looked pretty good. I thought the stuff leading up to it, I was like, you know, it might not be as, as good as the first two X-Men movies in this sort of uh, chronology that we've gotten so far with these characters. But I'm excited for it nonetheless. Turned out that it was not that good at all. And, you know, this one, while it probably will not be on the same level of destruction as Apocalypse was in terms of what they're trying of what they did with CG and stuff like that in Apocalypse... I want to wait and see the movie as a whole to see where they end up going with Dark Phoenix and just how much destruction and chaos Gene is going to cause. So that really, that's just the only knock I have on this trailer. I think it looks good, but I'm nervous for the end product as a whole and will be until it comes out. I think that you touched on a really interesting point about Apocalypse, about Apocalypse which was the mass destruction. Um, and that's something we've talked about with Batman vs. Superman, that's something we've talked about with Wonder Woman, is that in uh, Man of Steel as well, which are all DC movies, and if you listen to this podcast, you know we do not like, is that kind of the final showdown, or you know, throwdown, or whatever you want to call it, is just a lot of destruction, and not a lot of... It's, it, it's really, really big without a lot of substance. I think there's not there's not a whole lot of meaning behind it. It doesn't feel like there's stakes. It just seems like it's big and it's a big spectacle, but it's not an interesting sequence to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I felt like that was where Apocalypse really struggled, where other X-Men movies have not, save maybe like X-Men Origins Wolverine, which was not a huge spectacle, but a really uninteresting film as a whole, right. um, and a bad example. But... You know, if you look at X-Men First Class, which was kind of 
it, it, it set a new standard for X-Men films. The final act was mutant on mutant. And there were other players, but it was really like mono mono and it was about it was about characters. It wasn't just about fighting. It was about the characters and it was about how are these characters going to end up? And that's, you know, that's how a lot of the old X-Men movies were is it was about the characters fighting the characters and there were stakes and you really understood the struggle of why they were fighting. And it was, you know, and that that's what's so great about Magneto as a villain is you can totally understand his side. You totally understand what he's fighting for, but you totally understand what Charles Xavier's fighting for when they show when they show down it is a clash of ideology between people. With the, with Apocalypse, it was Apocalypse saying, I want to destroy everything, and the X-Men being like, we don't want you to destroy everything. And then they fight, and Apocalypse destroys a bunch of stuff, and then Jean Grey's like, yeah, you're done, and then like hulks out on him, and it's over. It's just it's not interesting. It's the, the conflict does not have depth in that movie. Right, because the character of Apocalypse isn't introduced until that movie, too. And that's what, you know, having not seen Apocalypse, just from what I've gotten from you, that seems like what they mainly did wrong is that Apocalypse is supposed to be this guy that you build up to. He's supposed to be the big main baddie that's like, you know, you end a phase of whatever X-Men, whatever you want to call it, you want to end with Apocalypse being the big bad guy that you've built up to for a while. And I'm going to compare him to Mar- I'm going to use Marvel movies here because it's the best example because this is what they did with Thanos. And it worked. And it worked. Yeah. We got Thanos. We knew Thanos was coming from the end of the first Avengers movie. If we had known from the end of the fr- of first class that Apocalypse was coming come the third movie of this iteration of X-Men movies, I think it would have been better. We w- Our expectations would have been set a little more or we would have already gotten some looks at him and knew some things about him, but we didn't get anything about that. And it sounds like they tried to, and failed, establish this really big, really overpowered bad villain all in one movie without getting any of the character depth itself. Right, and because there was no character depth, there was no... I mean, it was just super shallow. The whole movie was shallow. The movie was just kind of like, this is happening, and you're like, all right, I don't care. (laughs) Like, that that was basically it, whereas... What X, where X-Men movies thrive is making you care about the conflict because, you know, Charles and Eric are best friends. Like, they are best friends, and they're trying to kill each other. Like, that is super interesting to see. And it looks like we're going to get a lot more of that in this movie because they are fighting Jean Grey, who is one of them. And she, you know, it doesn't, it seems like, like you said with what Eric said, Charles messed up, and he knows he messed up, and he's trying to plead with her, but she is broken beyond repair, and I, I mean, you know, I don't know how Magneto will play into this, but it looks like she kind of goes to him for like counsel or to help her, you know, mess with the X Men. But you have, I mean, you have friends fighting friends. You have, you know, you have two sides that you really care about and that you will probably likely be able to understand. And because of that, it will be a much more interesting movie to watch than Apocalypse was. But so basically, to summarize my very long argument, from what I can tell. Apocalypse was an anomaly, and this is a return to form for the X-Men franchise. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I agree with you. Like, when the team itself is the one that's fighting, that's when it gets really interesting. And I I hope if this trailer isn't any indication, if this is actually how the movie's going to go, it looks like we will be getting a return to that. I do have one complaint very quickly before we wrap this up. The costumes look dumb. The suits, you mean? The suits. Yeah. The X-Men suits. Like, it's just... All after all these X Men movies, this is where we've ended up. Like, really, it's it's a little disappointing. 
As we said earlier, Dark Phoenix got its release date pushed back, and the trailer it says is coming out Valentine's Day weekend. That is no longer the case. It is now coming out June 7th, 2019, and for both Yates and my cases, that cannot come quickly enough. We're going to hop into honorable mentions. There were some other trailers that came out this week. Uh, one of them that we, eh, we, we were kind of ambivalent on, but we wanted to mention at least once was the Bumblebee trailer. This is the second look we've gotten at the standalone Bumblebee movie. I, it's not really standalone because you see other Transformers in this movie, um, but now you just get sort of a Bumblebee origin story starring Haley Steinfeld, also John Cena, which you now see in this trailer. Okay. Uh, fine. And um, yeah, you've got some other people in the cast there that I guess are worth your time. But, it, you know, you and I are both burnt out on Transformers movies. I was never into these movies in the first place. So I think I've seen three and I haven't liked any of them. Yeah. So the rest is a hard pass on me. However, this movie looks like it's trying to be different since it's focusing on just one and Bumblebee's relationship with Haley Steinfeld's character since she's, you know, a younger girl and Bumblebee can't talk he's the most like an animal out of out of the rest of them because he's like a pet I watched this trailer and the first thing that I there were two scenes it made me think of two movies the first one was Axel which we have talked about extensively yikes podcast which is not a good comparison that you want but Axel hopefully better done I I I can definitely see like there definitely are some similar themes though and if you've seen the trailer for Axel or heaven forbid seen Axel and you watch this trailer (laughs) you will you you will pick up on what we're talking about also Big Hero 6 it looks like but there are a couple scenes where Bumblebee looks like it's going to be like Baymax what I got out of this trailer is that I think the first two acts of this movie will be interesting character driven about this girl and bumblebee bonding and trying to like figure out the deal what's going on some world building some origin you know it looks like you'll have the government looking for him because you know it's a transformers movie and that's what always happens have some decepticons which you know is fine it'll it, it looks like it'll be interesting more character driven and then it looks like the last act of this movie will just be the all-out transformers war that we always get that's uninteresting and just metal flying everywhere and well I, I agree. So you and I are kind of ambivalent on that one. Two of the other trailers that came out this week that we liked, one just came out today as we're recording. It is a teaser trailer for the Elton John kind of biopic, kind of fantasy drama reimagining of his upbringing and, and just uh, rise to fame starring Taron Edgerton from Kingsman. It looks interesting enough. It's definitely a teaser he, trailer. He looks great as Elton John. Looks, I will say, yeah, he, 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 he does look really yeah, good. He, he nails the look, and it's an interesting premise as well, costumes, which you get from the trailer. Yeah, costumes in that movie, ooh, they're gonna be killer. They're gonna be killer. They're gonna be killer. The other one that we both liked was Mid Nineties, which is an A twenty four film and Jonah Hill's directorial debut. Uh, lots of good things to that I like in that one. You're you're a little less so on it, but you would admit that it looks good. Oh, it 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 looks good. It just doesn't look like my kind of movie. Like this in the um the Robert Pattinson one, the Robert Pattinson A24 movie. Oh, just yeah. not not my thing, but not bad in any way. Yeah. So those were the two ones that intrigued us. The one that really turned us off, which is a, sh- a shame because you and I had talked about this not that long ago. And talk about being at least marginally excited for it. Right, was the Will Ferrell and John C. Riley Holmes and Watson movie. Uh, we got a first look at that, and it did not look very inspiring, to say the least. Correct. So watch that if you are into that kind of stuff, but it doesn't even look like it's on the same level as a Talladega Nights or Step Brothers in terms of creativity and humor. So 
Agreed. Which we could be wrong. We could be, we wrong. Could be wrong. I hope we'll we are, see. but I'm not optimistic. I'm not optimistic. With Tiffany Haddish and Kevin Hart and Smallfoot, with a bevy of voice actors, took the top two spots at the box office this past weekend. But that's not really the main story I want to talk about. Night School's $28 million opening and Smallfoot's $23 million opening helped push this September, September 2018, over the hump and made it the second largest September box office in history. Thanks, Crazy Rich Asians. Yes, that's that's a big part of it. I mean, there were some big openings, too. Crazy Rich Asians actually came out in August. But the holdover for that movie, the standing power it had was just insane, being in probably the top five every single weekend. And, uh, you know, The Nun had a gigantic opening with $53 million when it came out. It was like second week of September. A House with a Clock in Its Walls. I'll surprise both of us getting like over $25 million in its first opening. Neither of us saw that coming. So, and when you actually look back at it, Yates, every single weekend in September, there was at least one movie that made over 20 million bucks, which is pretty good. That's usually, for, for, for September? For September. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. It's not the usual September model. Correct. Um, it is, interestingly enough, second all time in terms of September box office earnings to last year's September box office. So I wonder if we're going to see more of a trend of people trying to stick bigger movies in there to get bigger budgets or bigger box office openings because they know that it's making a little more money than usual in September. But I... We'll see. I don't know if that's possible it, or the right idea. It would be interesting to see if, like, the summer movie... I mean, the you know, the end of August is not good. Like, we had Axel yeah. and things like that that were, like, wannabe summer movies but yes. were not entertaining. It'll be interesting to see if we kind of get some better summer blockbusters pushed further back into August than movies like that getting pushed into September it wouldn't in surprise coming me. years. No, it wouldn't surprise me either. Coming out this week, we got two movies that are interesting and a whole lot that aren't. Right. So I'm only going to talk about the two that are interesting. If you want to see some weird indie stuff, Google it. It is worth noting that these two movies are some of the bigger blockbusters we've had in a while. Like, The Nun opened into a crap ton of theaters, but these two movies are going to open into more than probably every single other movie that debuted in September. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And those two movies are Venom and A Star is Born. Venom, we've talked about a lot on here with trailers, news, things like that. It's uh, Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock playing the basically anti-hero in this movie, anti-hero, but classic Spider-Man's number one villain. You know, we again, we've talked about it a lot. It looks like another Sony superhero movie. Neither of us are that impressed or excited for it. I will say I watched a clip that they released from it recently. Yeah, they've released like three clips in the last week or something. I think it's because they're trying to show, hey, our trailers might not be the best edited, which has always been the case for Sony movies, especially superhero movies. But And, and um, that's besides the point. The clips that I did see... I think I watched two, were action eclipse, and I was a little more encouraged by those, but like a couple scenes of good action isn't going to be enough for me to pay full <laughs> ticket price to Correct. go see a movie that has bad storytelling or bad dialogue right. and everything else, which the trailers look yeah. like Well, and if it has. If it comes out and people are like, oh, like this is actually a pretty solid movie, then maybe next weekend I'll 
you know, drop the cash and go see it. But I have no interest in doing that yeah. this coming weekend. I could be convinced otherwise, but it probably won't be in the first few days it's yes. out. Yeah. Bingo. The other movie, A Star is Born, starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga as they're they're a couple, right? In the movie. And they sing and songwrite together and basically she makes it big with his help. And it's Bradley Cooper's directing debut. And this has already been getting a lot of Oscar buzz, which a is lot of Oscar very buzz. noteworthy given that it's his acting that it's his directing debut and people are very interested in his directorial skills saying that he's basically like a natural and it's very well done i'm so excited for this and it's about bradley cooper is a country singer who discovers lady gaga's character in some dive and she's like not even she's singing some but not even really singing and he sort of yeah they start dating and then he helps propel her career forward because he's like you're really good at this you could be one of the next greats and uh it's about their relationship in trials and tribulations in that way i am not a country music fan but Bradley Cooper looks and sounds amazing so far in the stuff that I've seen from it. And they just released like a, a single for the movie, probably going to be the main song that will be up for Oscar nominations later and stuff like that called Shallow. And I have not been able to get out of my head for the last few days. I'm very encouraged by that fact, despite it being a country-ish song. So I'm on board with this. Are you? Yeah, I am. There's actually an advanced screening on campus on Wednesday that I've might be trying to go to yeah depending on how school work is going. yeah that seems really cool i think that this movie could be the breakout movie of the fall i think it's going to be gigantic like it's going up against venom which is going to have a big box office opening without a doubt superhero movie one that people have been waiting for for many years that's expected a star is born might not have the biggest opening i think it's going to have ridiculous staying power agreed and will still be a factor into the holiday season like i i think agreed. this movie is going to be huge yeah it is worth noting as well, A Star is Born, 95% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not bad. No, not at all. That's not bad. You want to guess what's going on with Venom? Uh, I'm going to say it's at a 42. Actually, it's at nothing yet because it's under a review <laughs> oh, embargo. Oh, no. Which, not, not good. good. We'll see what happens there. The last piece of news, which really isn't news, we just... We've talked about it pretty much every episode for the last, like, five or six. Because we've been waiting to we've see We've been it. waiting so long. Old Man and the Gun expanding finally this week to 40 theaters, and none of them are within a five-hour drive of us. Uh. <laughs> so uh, you're going to have to wait another week, I guess. I actually am going to New York this weekend, which is one of the markets that it's in, but I won't have time to go see a Robert Redford movie. Uh unfortunately tragic yeah so old man the gun hopefully once it's it gets, getting there yeah hopefully once it gets all the artsy theaters out of the way and it tests well with all those audiences it made a good amount of money for being in five theaters yeah this past it weekend. made what'd you say One hundred fifty thousand. that's right yeah, yeah that's not so, bad you know once it gets out of its out of its system hopefully fox searchlight decides to distribute it a little further and we'll be able to finally see this for uh for those of you following along at home that's thirty thousand dollars per theater that's right so pretty good pta yep which is per theater average correct but yep another saber metrics oh yeah another week waiting on robert redford's final film thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of rated p be sure to follow us on twitter at p for podcast like us on facebook and as always see what we're watching on letterboxd thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week